For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Matt Barrows, who covers the San Francisco 49ers for The Athletic, about the start of OTAs, optional team activities, which began this week down in Santa Clara for the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan said earlier this week he was surprised about the number of 49ers that showed up, despite the NFL Players Association recommending that players maybe refrain, saying that OTAs were maybe not necessary as we tried to get back to normal. Media was allowed to be at the OTAs, as well as ask some questions of Jimmy Garoppolo, of Kyle Shanahan, and even of Fred Warner after the first practice. All things we can talk about with Matt Barrows, who joins me next. Today is Friday, May 28th. It is always fun and always a pleasure. I always open up the podcast saying it's a pleasure when we get to talk to our guests. And I say that about Matt Barrows every time we have him on. But Matt, I'm thinking about this uh, more self-serving here. It's been like a month since we've had you on and I was getting hives, dude. We needed a, a Matt Barrows hit. How are you, Matty? You need a little fix. Uh, yeah, you're starting to get the creepy crawlies over your arms and legs. I hear you. I yeah. hear you. It happens. Yeah. I'm good. How are you guys? I'm good, man. I know you have that effect on people. So uh, I was jonesing I a little I bit, do. dude. So how was it this week? You were down there. Uh, the OTA started up, and and you got to be outside watching football, man. How did it feel? It felt great. It really did. I was saying this the other day, uh, just to kind of walk through that gate. You know, this is the NFL, so there's a protective gate that you can't. You can't see over, but when you're finally allowed through and you see all those uniforms, almost 90, and the first group you see is the offensive linemen. So you you realize, okay, this is football, big human beings. And it was, of course, a beautiful day. It was a great feeling. We hadn't seen a full-scale practice. We saw the rookie minicamp earlier this month, but we hadn't seen a full-scale one since November because, remember, this team took off to, to Arizona at that point. So it had been a long while since we'd seen kind of football, football players, football, you know, 11 on 11 situations up front. So it was great. It was also over before, you know, just after it finished. It was a very brief session because they are definitely ramping up the practices. Uh, They didn't have the the run up uh, in the offseason program like they usually have. So Shanahan is keeping the first ones short to, you know, prevent injuries. We've already seen one, et cetera, et cetera. So this will be a, a gradual build, I think, over the next few weeks to that uh, that mini camp that um, kind of uh, essentially ends the spring session, and then they reassemble for training camp in late July. Yeah, you're right. You don't want to see any injuries now. This is a tough time. And, and we'll get into the Jeff Wilson stuff in just a minute. But as far as the, you said, almost 90 guys showing up, the NFL Players Association was like, yeah, maybe we, we hold back on doing this. They were recommending guys don't come. Were you surprised at the number? I know Shanahan was happy about it. But I feel like much like people in America and around the world who are waiting to jump on planes and go on vacation, like these guys wanted to get out there and, and sort of get the blood flowing a little bit, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good call, especially for this team, a team that just had trying to find the right adjective to describe the 2020 season. Taxing. It was just such a slog, and, and they wanted to get that taste out of their mouths and get going again on a, on a new season. And you're right, it, it was surprising. I mean, as late as March, April, I didn't even know that they were going to have these spring practices. That was sort of up in the air. as a, It was a question mark. And to have 86 guys, I think it was, were there, were present, not all of them were practicing. Some were doing rehab, but most were. That's a really big number. And to have guys like Trent Williams, Alex Mack, those guys don't need to be there. They know this offense. They've, they've been through this countless times. Guys in their 30s. To have them there, I think that was a really good signal 
John Lynch very, very proud of, of the culture, the vibe in that locker room, and he should be. That, I think, is all part of it. I think that was all very positive toward the, the 49ers' upcoming season. You mentioned that about John Lynch, and, and I've been thinking about this with the executives across football this offseason with all the quarterback turmoil. It seems like it was heavier this year than it's ever been with Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and guys being critical of their front offices. Do you think guys respond to or listen to John Lynch a little bit differently because he was a guy who strapped him on? Do you think that that the understanding of the business element or the, the foundational pieces it takes when you show up to these types of OTAs play a big role in, in this 49er locker room success they've had over the last few years because of where John Lynch comes from. I just just a different line of thought here. I was just thinking about that right now. I think so, for sure. I mean, John Lynch is also extremely likable. I've said this uh, a, a few times. I mean, I've, you know, followed him down the hallway at the uh, at the scouting combine in Indianapolis because I'm, you know, I'm asking him 49ers questions. <laughs> you cannot walk three feet with John Lynch without him being accosted by somebody. Uh, a fan, uh, you know, a fellow GM, a coach. I mean, he is as universally a well-liked person as there is. And you can't fake that, you know, your, your whole life. You know, he's got whatever it is. He's got charisma. He's self-effacing. He's a nice guy. He's was raised right. He's got great manners. He's got everything you want. And he also was a badass. I mean, he also was a really good player. So he's got that respect that you were just talking about across the league. So, I mean, he's just the right guy that you want, I think, in that front office. John Lynch calls, you pick up the phone. I mean, I don't think that that happens everywhere. It's a good thing that the 49ers have going with that dynamic between Shanahan and Lynch right now. Yeah, and he had mentioned that on a podcast earlier this week that he uh, it's a relationship business, so it's good to have those relationships. And it seems like the 49ers are involved in every type of discussion there can be about every player. So good guy to have on, on their side. About Jeff Wilson now, this is sort of a bummer, man. We find this out the other day, the torn meniscus. John Lynch said it seems like it's a pretty serious tear. He's going to be out till mid-October. I imagine he was going to be the number two back. He was really good for them last year alongside uh, Raheem Mostert, I thought, probably to start this year. But now Trey Sermon is here, a great piece from David Lombardi on Elijah Mitchell, who could be on the roster this season. What do you make of this injury, and, and where do they go from this point? Yeah, it, it is a bummer because Jeff Wilson is the guy that you root for. I mean, he's the ultimate uh, under-promise, over-deliver type of guy. Uh, undrafted out of North Texas, nobody expected much from him. Nobody expected him to make the roster. He did. He played as a rookie. He was good as a rookie, and he's gotten a little bit better every year he's been in the league. He's gotten bigger. So he's gotten basically the the size to go along with his hard-charging style, which I think people just automatically like as a throwback type of runner. So another guy who's well-liked and uh, they're going to miss. And I think he, he definitely goes into training camp as the number two if he were healthy, starts the season. It would be up to one of these other runners to take that role away from him. And that was going to be hard to do. But as you noted, there are a number of guys who have the ability to do that. Uh, You mentioned Elijah Mitchell, and uh, we did write about him this week. Uh, David Lombardi did. The guy who's probably similar style-wise to uh, Jeff Wilson is the other rookie, Trey Sermon. He would be the one, I would think, who's got the best shot. He's now probably got to overtake Wayne Goleman, the uh, the veteran that they signed. And Goleman had a nice season last year on a really terrible Giants uh, team offensively. So that's not quite as easy as maybe it seems on the surface. But I would say that Sermon's got the best shot 
to be that uh, that number two runner. He reminds me a little bit of Tevin Coleman. Just he's got a, a little bit of speed. Coleman's probably a little bit faster, but uh, the same style of runner, which of course um, you know bodes well for him because uh, Coleman has been a Shanahan guy for a while. So Raheem Mostert question mark, but I, I think Sermon's got a really nice shot. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. I was a little surprised at the Trey Sermon draft pick when they took him just because of how much success they've had at finding. I mean, you talk about Jeff Wilson Jr. We can talk to Michael Hasty. We can talk Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, just the luck or the success they've had with tabbing undrafted guys or guys who were not highly sought after draft picks. And then they use a, a high pick on Trey Sermon. I mean, that's right in the guts of the draft there. Did they see something of bigger value than maybe just the style of Tevin Coleman to warrant that high of a draft pick? Well, yeah, they liked him. I mean, uh, Bobby Turner, the running backs coach, is uh, famous for really uh, establishing relationships with a a lot of guys, a lot of running backs every draft. I mean, he and and Najee Harris, for example, are now super tight, even though the 49ers (laughs) probably knew that they weren't going to get Najee Harris in this draft. He passed the Bobby Turner test, which is first and foremost, and and he, he fits the style. And I think the 49ers did a good job. I mean, Guard and running back uh, are, are two positions that don't usually go um, undrafted. I mean, those two spots linger for a while, and so they took advantage of that. And they probably got guys a little bit higher than they would have gone because they were going for those seldom drafted positions, like running back, like guard, etc. So they got two of each. They hadn't had really a, I call it a, a meat and potatoes type of draft like that for a long time. So it's almost restocking some positions that had started to get a little threadbare there over time because they've been neglected. The running back room is, for the most part, it seems like it'll be a competition between those guys uh, after the injury to Jeff Wilson Jr. And then he could be back sometime maybe week eight, week nine, sometime mid-October. When it comes to the wide receiver situation, kind of the same thing that after the top two, after you're looking at Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, I assume it's it's like a mix of Richie James Jr., maybe Jalen Hurd, if he can get back on the field. This year, you had written a little bit about him doing some high knees. Muhammad Sanu's around, River Craycraft, Travis Benjamin, who could be a kick returner. What do you make of the receiver? room right now. It's totally wide open after those first two guys that you mentioned. One guy I might keep an eye on is is Travis Benjamin, just because he does have some skills that uh, seem to fit 49ers needs. He does return punts. He does play out of the slot. He is really fast. He opted out last year, and uh, he looked good. I mean, he's definitely in shape, and, and, and the speed still seems to be there. Juwan Jennings had a nice practice the other day, and this is going to vary from day to day and sort of dependent on which day is open to the media, but but he stood out to me, which is good. He seems a little bit slimmer, maybe a little bit faster because of that. They have a lot of options for that big slot spot. Um, I was watching Jalen Hurd very carefully. He was at the far end of the field, and I, I came armed with my, my heavy-duty binoculars, the, the real <laughs> serious bird watcher binoculars, and I I was watching him for a good five, ten minutes, and he was doing, I mean, it was pretty vigorous work that he was doing. High knees with with sprinting involved, too. I mean, if you've got bad knees, that would have been hard to do. So um, nothing covering the knees, no brace, no no sleeve. So he seemed to be smiling, you know, having a a good rapport with uh, the trainer he was working with. So all of that seemed seemed positive, and and Shanahan's remarks... uh, after the practice that he's expected back for 
training camp, barring a setback, I, I think that's positive too. And that was the same for, for him, for Nick Bosa, and for D Ford. They are hoping, expecting that all three of those guys can take part in training camp. And, and that's that, that, to me, is a big deal. Nick Bosa did not have the run-of-the-mill ACL tear. There was some ancillary damage there, and that usually means a, a longer comeback. He's ahead of schedule, has been from the get-go, and like I said, is on track to, to be on hand for training camp. Great for the defense. And then the last guy I want to ask you about here is Fred Warner, who Kyle Shanahan hit on and a little bit the other day. Fred Warner had said, hey, I want to be a 49er for life. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said, we view signing Fred Warner like we viewed re-signing George Kittle, which to me means it's absolutely mandatory and it's got to happen soon. What do you make of those comments? And, and do you think there'll be something in the works here before the start of the season? Yeah, I think uh, even before training camp or, or right at the start of training camp, it is Kittle part two, just in, in every aspect. I mean, somebody who is a, a mid-round draft pick, uh, again, just like Jeff Wilson is, you know, over-delivering on uh, versus where that person was was drafted. I don't know if Fred Warner is going to set the market at linebacker like Kittle did at tight end, but it, it's going to be really close. You know, the only difference is that Kittle really didn't have, you know, the risk of injury in the spring last year because there was no spring. Should be a lot of fun, man. we got a ways to go, but uh, I'm sure we'll check in before then. And uh, thanks for the time today, Matt. We'll catch up with you down the road. All right. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Great stuff from Matt Barrows. Fun insight. And yeah, everybody check out that article on Elijah Mitchell, who could be filling a void in the 49er backfield. That article from earlier this week on The Athletic by our own David Lombardi. Thank you to Matt. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We're going to keep bringing you the best stories in Bay Area sports, and we're going to stick on the 49er tip on Monday. We'll talk to Tori McElhaney, the athletic beat reporter for the Atlanta Falcons, about the Julio Jones saga. Of course, Kyle Shanahan coached Julio Jones for two years in Atlanta as the O coordinator of the Falcons and has said earlier this week and earlier in his career that if you have an opportunity to get a player specifically like Julio, you go when you get him. We'll talk to Tori on Monday about the 49ers' chances at making a move for the top wideout. Until then, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you Monday.